Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Baby. I took a half and she took the whole thing. Slow down. Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back Baby. to the Gabe Coon Show. Live from the service master by Cornerstone Studios on 929 FM ESPN. Baby. Paul Reed is high school football coach at Lutheran North in the St. Louis area. Also had some time at DeSmet as well, but he has turned college football analyst. Been around the block two times over. He is at Coach Reed live on Twitter. He joins me now. Coach Reed, what's happening? What's going on, my man? It's good to be here. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, you had to stop off with uh, our, our, our good friend Paul Feinbaum, Memphian. Memphian through and through oh, yesterday. How was that? Oh, it was great. It's always good to be on with Paul, man. It's always a great time. But it's not as great of a time as being on here with you, my Yes, friend. sir. Yes, sir. I like to hear that. Now, uh you you've been you've been traveling a little bit this off season and uh you've taken a couple stops. I have to ask you about your uh, stops there at Colorado with Coach Prime. A lot of uh a lot of people talking about what he's doing. Uh they're critical of what he's doing and turning over the roster. What what do you think when you got over there? Uh, you saw the hype. You saw uh, sort of how the fan base is reacting. What do you think of his uh, his his thought process this off season in year one? What I think his thought process was that he needed better players. <laughs> right. I think, that, I think that any coach who took that job would have seen that they've definitely revamped the roster. They still got a couple holes to fill, but they probably won't be able to address address those things until the next recruiting cycle. But, I mean, the team is going to be much better than what I would have anticipated because I was there at the spring game, so I got a chance to see the team. And it's night and day with the guys they had then versus the guys that they have there now in the fold. Now, something that, that when you when you hear the criticisms of him, it's, it's giving 18- to 22-year-olds more grace. Um, it's, it's sort of talking about uh, flipping over a roster completely. Obviously, they were 1-11. They need better players. Um, but he sort of is using all of the, these new rules, these new availabilities in college sports to his disposal. Um, do, do you think that's an overwhelming good thing, or, or do you think it's a bad thing, just sort of looking at how he's gone about sort of treating some of these guys and everything else? It feels like he was very straight up and up front with those guys meeting number one, though. I don't know if it's good or if it's bad, but it is what it is. There's a lot of coaches who, given the same scenario, would do the same thing. Tons of guys have used the portal. I don't know if anybody was in the – dire straits they were, you know, in terms of, of trying to fill out a roster uh, with some of the kids that they had there. But it's tough to compare it to, to previous regimes or previous tenures because the game has changed so much in the yep. past three years. Transfer portal, NIL, this isn't your grandfather's or even your father's college football. So a lot of people – um, complain about rules. They complain about situations. But I'm going to tell you what, college football is making record money and they have mm-hmm. record numbers and viewership. So college football right now is as exciting as it's ever been before. No question. Do you think he is – and obviously this has happened for a long time. Like I, this, is, this is what makes me laugh about some people that don't know the ins and outs of how college football has worked for a long time. There's been a lot of guys over the years – um, that don't really get publicized, don't get talked about 
all the time that have been cut, that have been told to leave, that have been uh, taken off scholarship. It happened when I was at the University of Memphis. It's happened elsewhere around the country. But do you think he's setting a precedent with with sort of the uh, the the in bulk way he's going about it, telling guys to sort of uh, move into the portal if you want to find greener pastures? You can't want to be paid like a man but be treated like a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, college football is a big boy's business and it's played by big boy rules. And you know before you sign those scholarships they're one-year renewable. And you have to hold up your end of the bargain. And part of holding up your end of the bargain is actually being a good player. And if you're not, then your scholarship could be, you know, up in the air. Yep. Now, what do you think expectations should be for, be for him in year one? Sort of looking at a win total. You got to look at a bowl game. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to look at you got to look at making it to a bowl game. You've been able to flip your roster over. You have a very good quarterback in Shador Sanders. You got McCaskill transferred in at tailback, and and I think he's going to be the biggest difference maker for them um, because he's an elite running back. And you know, I'm a run the rock guy, and if you yeah. got a special guy in the backfield, that can that changes the way you can play and the way you can produce more than anything. Yeah, and I, I saw Dana Holgerson sort of talk about Alton McCaskill and saying, oh, well, I gave him I gave him a whole lot of leash in the spring. He was going to be our lead back, and then uh, then he ended up leaving. And he said he was surprised by it. At this point in college football, should these coaches be surprised by anything when it comes to transfer portal, NIL, guys moving to greener pastures? No, they shouldn't be. They should be prepared for it, and they should be prepared to – React. They shouldn't be reacting. They should already have it. Right. They got to be thinking two, three moves ahead. Yeah, but it's no fun when the rabbit has a gun, right? I feel like there's a lot of coaches that still have not gotten used to this around the country. Hey, you know, it's, it's cool when they do it. It's a problem when I do it, right? That's how that's how the game is. Mm-hmm. No question. Now, uh, what, what do you think about uh, – I'll, I'll just get this one thought out of you from a realignment perspective. What do you think about Colorado, the Big 12? What do you think happens with the Pac-12 here relatively soon? Oh, man, the Pac-12, if they lose Colorado, they're going to be in trouble, man. I mean, they, I don't think they can afford any more defections when you're talking about conference realignment. They've really been hit. They lost their entire L.A. market. It's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next year or two of college realignment. Do you think the Big 12's in, in a good spot right now, considering you know the all the people they've reached they out get, to? If they can get Colorado, if they can get Memphis, yeah. you know, I think the I think that bowls well. They got to be able to get Memphis too, though. Well, well, what do you think? I mean, it feels like uh, Brett Yormark's trying to keep that under wraps. I, I have it on good authority, right? We had a report early last week about uh, uh, a meeting. It was from collegead.com. There, there was a meeting in Memphis, may not have been on campus, could have been with donors. Brett Yormark says he's never been on campus. He never met with anybody at Memphis. Um, what 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 do you what do you think? I I seem to I have it on good authority. He was here. It may not have been on campus. It may have been by, by the big money pushers. He didn't say he wasn't there. Right. He said he didn't meet on campus. Right. He didn't say he wasn't. You have to always pay attention to what's not being told to you. Yes. So you you think he's being truthful, but he's not he's not telling the whole story. He didn't tell a lie. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But, you, you, but but from the sounds of it, you like you like Memphis to the Big Twelve. You like Memphis as a Power Five program. Well, I love Memphis as a Power Five program. Great city, uh, great entertainment, great place for people to come to. A high level of talent. Memphis is one of the recruiting epicenters in the country yep. in both football and basketball. Right in the heart of the SEC. 
I think it would be a tremendous move for Memphis to step up and be in the Big 12. So you've dealt with a lot of kids and how they make their decisions on going to college, whether it's football, basketball, whole nine yards. Do you think if Memphis is in a Power Five, they they start to uh, have a little more control over this city? We know that there's a lot of guys that will end up at Bama, Arkansas, a lot of those, Ole Miss, Tennessee, a lot of these SEC schools. you think they could keep more of that talent in Memphis if they end up in the Big 12, in the this iteration of the Big 12? That's not the that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is always going to be the kids that you can attract from the region. Yep. Local recruiting is always and I and I say this to you know I'm 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 talking about a, a lot about the University of Missouri and their relationship with St. Louis. Right. You know sometimes you're going to have good years locally and sometimes you're not, but you're going to be able to attract better recruits from an eight-hour window by being in the Big 12 versus being in the Group of Five Conference. Yeah, no question. And the AAC, the way it is headed, it's just it's unfortunate, especially for football. Think, think about this. When John Calipari took Memphis to the national championship game, there was no starter on their team for Memphis. Right. So when you, so it's not, you know, and locals don't like hearing stuff like this, but it's the truth. It doesn't matter where the kids are from. It mm-hmm. matters. Can you attract Derrick Rose? Can you attract Chris Douglas Roberts, a Joey Dorsey, yep. those kind of guys um, that are the ones who are winning the games? You just got to be able to get the very best players. And mm-hmm. so being in a Power Five conference gives you a better recruiting foothold on who you can go get. Sometimes you're going to have a bunch of kids in Memphis that are good, but sometimes you won't. Just because you're the best player in Memphis, doesn't mean that you're good enough to play in the SEC. You understand what I yep. mean? So, and 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 that's just not for Memphis. That's St. Louis. That's Detroit. That's Miami. That's all of those places. So, you just want to be able to recruit the best players, and that league affiliation allows you to do that. Now, here in Memphis, we uh, the fan base. Uh, you know, us that are that, that went to the University of Memphis, we have PTSD from missing the boat so many times. Why do you think? Why do you think? Like, just from your your angle, why do you think they've missed the boat so many times on on Power Five? I mean, it was SEC way back when. It's been the Big Twelve since then. The Big East obviously dissolved very quickly. Why? Why do you think that that Memphis has sort of gotten been on the outside looking in in these conversations? Some people get very comfortable with the way things are. You know, change is hard for some people to accept. So when you go into these scenarios, you know, as a fan, we think in football, we think in basketball, but you have to think about how those moves affect your non-revenue sports. How is basketball, soccer, swimming? How are those tennis? How are you traveling and where's the funding, you know, for those operations? So it's more to adjust in the football than the men's basketball program. You do have to look at what's best for the entire university. Talking with Carl Reed at Coach Reed Live, college football analyst, 247 Sports and CBS Sports. When it comes to the future of college athletics, Nick Saban gave his thoughts two weeks ago about employer-employee relationship. Uh, we have NIL. We have one-time transfer. We have the player empowerment movement, if you will. Where do you think we're headed with this thing? Do you think that he is, he is on the right track when it comes to that employer-employee relationship? Well, he's looking for control, you know, and if you're in an employer-employee relationship, you have more control. If it's an NIL and it's a marketing type of situation relationship, what I do know about Coach Saban is whatever's going on, he'll be ready. Yeah. And I think that that's the mentality that every college coach has to have. Whatever the rules are today, 
instead of complaining about it, man, just adapt to them and be ready to roll. So with the coaches you talk to around the country, and I'm not talking about Nick Saban, I'm not talking about Prime, I'm not talking about these guys sort of at the top, I'm talking about sort of the guys in the middle. How uncomfortable are they right now? Like, truthfully, how uncomfortable are they with trying to manage their roster, trying to bring guys in? Well, it just depends. You know, some of those guys that, that you don't talk about a lot are just are, are big egomaniacs. Some of them feel like this is an opportunity for them to show themselves. Some of them are drowning and their head is underwater because they can't fill the players up as fast as they're leaving. In any profession, in any business, you're going to have people that are good at their jobs and guys that aren't. You're going to have winners and you're going to have losers. And so at the end of the day, that's what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to NIL, when you you see the guys that do it the best around the country, whether it be Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, um, I, I think right now, looking at Tennessee and their athletic department, what they're doing with NIL is damn impressive. Aspire Sports Group has done a hell of a job with, with that Vol program with, in, in basketball and football. Do you notice any sort of, uh, how do I put it? Do you notice any sort of checklist items for a good NIL operation that, that kids should be involved with, that these student-athletes should be involved with? Well, I'm not going to give any college the blueprint on the radio about how to run the NIL department. <laughs> right. Call me and pay me a consultant fee. <laughs> yeah, hey, drop that NIL. number in there. I know hey, we got a hotline number. Come on. Hey, yeah, they can call my 1-900 number if they want to know what's going on. <laughs> you know, how to run the NIL department. You know, that's a that's one of those conversations you have at, at the hotel room down at the Marriott. Yeah, but, I mean, is it is it – they're letting everybody sort of get involved, like all these NIL groups, collectives. How much do they vet them? How much do they work hand-in-hand with them in a good situation? How much can you vet a guy that's not employed by you? Right. You know, so... Not very much? They have, yeah, I don't think that they have a choice. You know, those guys are not employees of the school. Some some of those groups are doing a good job, but a lot of them are doing a terrible job, and it's a lot of, you know kids out there who haven't gotten all the money that they were promised to, so you got to talk about that also. Yeah, and you see in certain places, and I'm not obviously pointing any fingers, but you see certain places there's a a holdup with trying to let everybody who wants to get involved get involved. Do you think that that's a, a hamper on, on, on getting talent and getting guys in? The more people that you, the more talent, the more human beings you involve, the more chaos will ensue. You want mm-hmm. to keep your circle small, my brother. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And like here at the University of Memphis, you see the 901 fund very involved. There's other other companies. There's other uh, collectives that want to get involved that may be on the outside looking in, and they certainly feel a type of way about that. That's that's just sort of a look behind the curtain. Now, when it comes to these dudes uh, behind the behind the scenes working the uh, NIL phones, trying to bring in uh, the donations. Who are these guys? Like, just your experience. Like, who 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 are these guys, and and how do they conduct themselves? All I'm gonna leave you with that on this, brother. Those who know don't tell, and those who tell don't know. You know, so those guys are just operating at a level um, and in a space that um, I just hope they do right by the kids. Yep. For sure. And how much have you heard? I mean, when we talk about unfulfilled promises, there's a lot of that going around right now. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, and, and players need to protect themselves. 
they need to get real representation. I mean, a real lawyer, a real agent, not your cousin, you know, not your best friend, not your brother. You need a real, you need somebody with some real experience. And um, to help navigate you through that process is uh, do you think uh, I mean not every university is, is is capable of hiring all these people behind the scenes but do you think the university universities the institutions themselves should be on the hook for for providing some of that clarity and that that leadership no that's not their job okay um, if you want if you want money you need to secure your own representation and handle your own business the school does, is not a function of your money. You have to handle your own business. You you are the CEO of your own life. Mm-hmm. Now, you said on Feinbaum yesterday, and I thought it was really, really good, and we hear this all the time, but you said all money is not good money. What what did you mean by that when you were sort of talking to Paul about that? You sort of uh, referenced the fact that kids may be getting money, but they're not finding their true fit. Yeah, I mean, you're throwing your dreams away. Like, you know, football, more than any sport, is a very positional, specific, and schematic game. You have to play in a certain style for your game to really move across. And imagine being a guy that needs to be in a 3-4, but yep. you go play for a team running a 4-2-5 because they gave you a little more money. Right. And now, when those pre-draft lists start coming out, you're not in the mix. You want a job. You, you wanted your money now, so you got it now. But now it's time to go to the NFL and you're not in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Talking with Carl Reed. He is a college football analyst for 247 Sports and CBS Sports. Now, as we get through this offseason, get into fall camps, I, uh, I want to ask you about a couple of teams. And I want to start with Nick Saban in Alabama. Hires two new coordinators. We're talking about Kevin Steele, Tommy Reese. He's trying to get back to his roots. He's trying to run the ball. He's trying to stop the run. They're trying to have a top 10 defense, even though, I mean, when you look at the, the former regime defensively, they're a top 15 defense. It's just it wasn't really working out. You saw Tennessee just expose them in a bad way last year. Um, especially over top, those DBs were, were not staying at home. They, they didn't really know. They didn't trust their eyes. Um, but what, what do you think happens with Bama this year? The quarterback position's uncomfortable to a certain extent. But Nick Saban, clearly his last few years, he's trying to, he's trying to get back to what, uh, what won him a whole lot of national championships uh, in, sort of in the early 2010s. Well, you got to think about he won a lot by being a smash-mouth physical guy. Then as the game transitioned in the wide open, he adjusted to that and made those adjustments and win. Now, you as finesse as everybody is being, you want to maybe move the game back another way and force people to have to be physical again and play their brand of football. Kevin Steele is his proven defensive coordinator. He's the guy that knows exactly what Nick wants. And Tommy Reese is a much better OC yeah. than people give him credit for. I think Alabama's going to be just fine, but when we talk about final, we're talking about national championship. I'm not sure about that yet. Uh, you know what the transfer portal has done. It is a, it has stopped teams like Alabama from just being able to stockpile talent to where you could just shuffle guys in and out. So depth can become an issue at certain key spots. Um, but I do expect Alabama to be in the mix, but they always are. There's no, no, no news there. Do you think there was a little copycat going on? I, and obviously Nick Saban's been there, done that. But you look across the way in, in the, the last two national championships and you see Georgia 
doing it with unbelievable defense. You see Stetson Bennett, who's not, I mean, he was a fourth-round pick, but I, I think he was a fourth-round pick because of the people around him in a lot of ways. He just sort of kept them on on schedule. Certainly not the most talented guy in the country. You think there's a little copycat. I mean, you look you look Nick, Nick Saban. Nick Saban looks across the way, sees Kirby Smart and what they're able to do, and he says, okay, it's a, you can still win this way. I know I tried to transition, but maybe that wasn't the best thing for me. Well, it wasn't the best thing now. It was the best thing then when they did it. Obviously, him and Kirby Smart coached together a long time, so their roots are very identical, and their philosophies are very identical. And I also have to say, we got to put some respect on Stetson Bennett's name. <laughs> Listen, two-time national champion. Yeah, I get it. Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup just said in Rams minicamp, that Stetson Bennett has made some amazing throws. You guys got to stop disrespecting Stetson Bennett. <laughs> Put some respect on his name. And if you know me and some of the conversations we've had off air, I'll tell you this: I'm a Stetson Bennett. I, I respected him all last year. I just know from a talent perspective, that's it's not that wasn't the peak, that wasn't the peak of the peak of the quarterback position last year in college football. Stetson Bennett is a bad, bad man. He is a winner. He's a dog, no pun intended for the Georgia Bulldogs, but he's, listen, very, very good football players. He paid Manning to Tom Brady. No, obviously he's not. But we got we to gotta stop acting like Stetson Bennett is not a very good football player. No, I do think it's wild he didn't graduate, but that's a different story for a different day. Talking with Carl Reed, he is a college football analyst for 247 Sports and CBS Sports. And I want to transition back to Memphis because in my time at Memphis, the amount of coaching talent that came through is unbelievable. You see Dan Lanning, uh, Ryan Walter started here, for for lack of a better term. You see Coach Odom, Barry Odom at UNLV, uh, Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State, Mike Norvell at Florida State. Just The list goes on and on. Of those guys, who do you think is going to have the best year coming up? in 2023. Dan Lanning. Right. Dan Lanning is going to have the best year. Yeah. And what he has going with Bo Nix and everything else, I mean, how, how, when we talk about young coaches, the relatability, the moving into the 21st century when it comes to NIL, player movement, player mobility, transfer portal, how well do you think he's attached himself to that? Because from the outside looking in at that Oregon program, it seems like he's doing a hell of a job. Well, Dan Lanning is a good friend of mine. I've known him a very long time. And what I would say that he's been able to do, he's been able, like we talked about earlier in the show, to take the game for what it is and run with it. And so he's not complaining. He's very adaptable to the way things are and the way the game has changed. And I think he's going to continue to stay at the cutting edge of that. Yeah, and William Jewell legend, by the way, right? William Jewell legend. We're a legend at William Jewell. <laughs> yes. You go on campus and tell them that you know Dan Lanning, everything is free. Everything. Absolutely everything. Now, what do you think about Kenny Dillingham? My guy, uh, he, he ended up, he was a GA when he first got to the University of Memphis, ended up as a quarterback coach, coached him. <laughs> Really good quarterbacks. I mean, the fact what he, what he was able to get out of Riley Ferguson, Brady White was fantastic. How, how do you think he fares at Arizona State? He seems like he fits that that mold to a certain extent. Newer age guy, ready to take on the new age. I think Kenny Dillingham is a very impressive coach. He's a very impressive offensive coach. First head coaching job. The key is going to be recruiting. Man, can they recruit at the level you need to recruit at? to win at that level. And so we'll see. The jury's out on that. But we will see he hired an excellent staff. Guys like Brian Carrington and Rashad Samples, 
who are known for attracting elite talent. So that's going to help them out a ton. Now, last thing for you, uh, at the, in, the, in the ACC, we're looking at Florida State, Clemson. Um, that's, that's really sort of the decision that everybody's making, especially in the preseason. And look at what Mike Norvell has been able to do, my, my former coach. It's, it's crazy. Gets Keon Coleman uh, relatively recently out of the transfer portal. Really good wide receiver for Michigan State. He's done more where that camp comes from. He's got an experienced quarterback in Jordan Travis. Who do you think ultimately comes out on top when the, when the ACC is all figured out, Clemson or, Clemson or Florida State? Well, you know, I picked Florida State to win 10 games last year, and everybody thought I was crazy. Right. And so I think that uh, Mike Novell is doing a great job, but Clemson is the champs of the ACC until they ain't the champs no more. So until I see Florida State beat them, I'm going to stick with Clemson for the moment. And there's a lot, there was a lot of discussion, by the way, and I know you tweeted about this. There's a lot of discussion about Dabo Sweeney and, and him adapting to the new age. Based on some of these recruiting, uh, recruiting nuggets I've been seeing, was it Sammy Brown? There was another guy. He has a four-star wide receiver that committed last week. He's doing just damn fine, it feels like. Hey, Dabo Sweeney has a plan, and he's sticking to it. He's not worried about the haters telling him that he needs to change, he needs to adapt. Dabo saying you better adapt to him in the way Clemson <laughs> handles their business. What, what do you think, about, real quick, what do you think about uh, the, the discussions about him and Alabama when, when Coach Saban steps away? Do you think, like, because I, 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 I always think when you have so much sweat equity into a place, when you're that, when you're that uh, uh, sort of statue coach out front, it's hard to leave a place. Do you think he'd ever sort of give thought to that? No, it's his no. alma mater. No, I don't think he ever right. does that. Right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But, Coach Reed, appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining. Let's do it again soon. All right. Thank you. Yes, sir. That is Carl Reed at Coach Reed Live on Twitter. He's college football analyst for 247 Sports for CBS Sports. Check out some of his work. I mean, just a St. Louis legend with what he was able to do in the football coaching ranks at the high school ranks. Lutheran North, wing T expert. He's definitely a guy who likes to run the rock, so you know that I relate to guys. They like to run the rock. But let's go ahead on that note and grab a break. When we come back, we'll hop into the Blitz right here on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM, ESPN. When disaster strikes, I know who you need to call. It's a number, 901-RESPOND, but it's Service Master by Cornerstone. It's the largest franchise in a 600-mile radius, but don't just call them because they're the largest. Call them because they are Service Masters. They've been awarded Service Masters Franchise of the Year Award, meaning they're the number one Service Master Restore franchise in the USA. And whether you're at an office, some of your residential properties, your home in general, you have issues. A toilet overflows, you have water damage, you have a water heater that's on the fridge, you have water damage, but uh, busted or frozen pipes, you could have water damage from that. You have a fire and there's smoke damage and there's mold uh, as well. Um, or just good old-fashioned uh, damage caused by a storm, which we've seen a lot. We see a lot in Memphis throughout these months. Uh, I know there was a lot during spring that we had to deal with. But make sure if any of these things happen, you call Service Master by Cornerstone at 901-RESPOND. No matter 
the place, no matter the size, they are here to help with the damage. Tyler, the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone, and his team are here to help you at moments like this. They have a great motto that I tell you every single day. We don't pray for disaster. We just pray we get called when there is one. So remember the name, locally owned, locally operated, Service Master by Cornerstone. The number is very simple. They respond to your issues. They respond to your disasters. It's 901 Respond. 901 R-E-S-P-O-N-D. 901 Respond for Service Master by Cornerstone. Now, we are live from the beautiful Service Master by Cornerstone studios, and it's time for the Blitz. Now, the biggest stories overloading the line of bull rush of info. It's Gabe's Blitz on the Gabe Coon Show on 92.9 FM ESPN, Memphis's sports station. All right, Gabe, jumping into the NFL. This was reported on Monday, but our first topic today is Vikings Pro Bowl defensive end Daniil Hunter is skipping minicamp, and it continues an offseason where the Vikings' second-year GM has offloaded several foundational pieces like Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Eric Kendricks, and Patrick Peterson. Hunter, who has had a double-digit sacks three of his last four seasons, looks like he's next. And uh, listen, uh, by the way, the year two GM, I know, I know we, we have struggles with his name. Quezzi Adolfo Mensa. Nailed Quezzi, it. Quezzi Adolfo Mensa. Um, but uh, we don't talk a whole lot of Minnesota Vikings, but I think there's some lessons to be taken from these this, this whole situation for them. They are just loaded when it comes to a, a fair amount of talent. They've had to offload some things to try to fix their cap situation. Um, Daniil Hunter is entering the final year of his contract. He had a rene- renegotiation last year and moved a portion of his future compensation up to 2022. So he got a lot of money last year, and this is the final year of the deal. And it calls for him to earn a base salary of $4.9 million while the cap hit still stays the same in 2023. And he's a useful player. If I'm looking at teams... That, that, that need to go find DNs, edge rushers. He's a guy who I think has at least two to three more good years in him. The Rams, if, I, if I'm the Los Angeles Rams, I would make this call right now to see what it takes to go get Daniil Hunter in my building. He had ten and a half sacks after returning from injury issues the previous two seasons. He had a neck issue, and then uh, after that... Um, he just had he played seven games in 2021. Like he he had some issues, but he still came back and had ten and a half sacks. Now for uh, Daniil Hunter, the fines for first day. For us, it seems like a lot. For him, it's a little different. Sixteen thousand four hundred fifty nine dollars for for day one of minicamp. Day two is thirty two thousand nine hundred twenty dollars. So he's he's losing upwards of um, what fifty million or fifty thousand dollars for for missing this minicamp. But ultimately, Quezzi Adolfo Mensa, who came in last year, year two is wild for him. And I think he's teaching some lessons that are worthy for the rest of the NFL. That's why I wanted to bring this up today. I don't mind the thought process behind what he's doing. One, don't get attached to your aging talent. Adam Thielen was a great player. He's not with the Panthers, but he was 33. The drop-off in production since 2018 is insane. He hadn't had an 1,000-yard season since 2018, which was his last Pro Bowl All-Pro year. Patrick Peterson is turning, guess what, 33 and hasn't been to a Pro Bowl since 2018. He's now with the Steelers. And now you have Daniil Hunter, who's nearly 30 and has a substantial injury history, and you still have the ability to trade him to get some compensation. When you have talent sometimes, maybe offloading it and trying to get things back is a good thing. And the other lesson you need to learn from this, don't throw a bunch of money at non-value positions. And I'm pointing to linebacker, sort of off-ball inside linebacker and running back. 
This is how you win in the NFL lately. He got rid of Eric Kendricks, let him walk, and, and he's letting uh, Dalvin Cook walk. You don't need to throw a bunch of money at those positions when you feel like you have the ability to get by without them. And in the NFL lately, let's think about the last two championships, 2022-23 Chiefs at running back, Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Jarek McKinnon, all making nothing, right? Linebacker, Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, who's still on a rookie, rookie deal. They're making nothing. 2021-22 Rams, who won, who won a championship. Running back, Sony Michelle, after he was let go, he was a free agent. They signed him for nothing. Daryl Henderson Jr., who yeah. started that game, was on a rookie contract. He was making nothing. And then at linebacker, think about this. Troy Reader, Ernest Jones, Kenny Young. Have you ever heard of any of those guys? No. Exactly. They were making nothing. Having dudes at running back and off-ball linebacker at those positions is usually a luxury that is great when you're not paying a bunch of money. But when that luxury starts to cost a lot of money, it's not worth it. So surface level, surface level of what the Vikings are doing, I completely understand it, and I think the, the NFL can learn from it. Now – if you're also looking at surface level, this is where I, uh, I don't quite understand all, all of the moves that are being made by the Vikings because the Vikings seem to continue to place trust in a quarterback who has one, one career playoff W in Kirk Cousins, <laughs> that number eight guy. So you're not a fan. I'm not, listen, I, I, I think when we talk about quarterbacks, especially sort of casual fans, they put them in elite or you're trash. And most people put... Kirk Cousins in that trash category when he's not. I mean, like TD to INT last year, what was he? Thirty-three to seven. Like he's he he clearly makes things happen. But when you ask him in playoff football to go win you a game, which is what happens in nowadays football, Patrick Mahomes is winning. Matt Stafford was phenomenal two years ago when he when he ran through uh, uh, the playoffs and won that championship for the for the uh, for the Rams. So you need a quarterback that gets you over the hump in playoff uh, football and. Clearly, Kirk Cousins isn't that guy. So I, I guess they, they, they have drafted. They've tried to find some replacements. They're, they're, they're trying to plan for the future. And maybe Kirk Cousins isn't there for that much longer. But I haven't heard much about Kirk Cousins not being in a Vikings uniform going into the future. And that, to me, is not, uh, it's not going to facilitate you winning a championship or being in a, a real competitive playoff window going forward. And last year, what, what were they, 13-4 and four going into the playoffs and lost first round to the Giants? It just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't do it for you. So I, I get what Quezzi Adolfo Mintz is doing. I think there's a lesson to be learned, but you're still sticking by Kirk Cousins, who's making $35 million again this year. I think that, that in itself is a little, bit, uh, a little bit to be – it leaves a little bit to be desired. So are you viewing – what they're doing now is a retool or a the beginning hardcore of a, the, or the beginning of a rebuild. It's a, it's a hardcore retool until um, proven otherwise, right? Because I don't think the NFC North's worth a damn, right? Like the Packers are worried about Jordan Love. What's he going to be able to do going into this year? Uh, I think the the Bears are improving. They have a really good base right now, but they were three and fourteen a year ago, you know, and they and they. They have Justin Fields. They have these things that, that you can sort of hang your hat on, but you don't know what they're going to turn into ultimately. I think the Lions are solid, but no one's going to accuse the Lions of being an absolute championship Super Bowl contender. They're the Detroit Lions. So the Vikings have this opportunity to retool very quickly and stay atop the NFC North, and I think their GM's doing a good job of trying to facilitate that. But that quarterback position eventually 
You're going to have to go get a guy who can get you over the top, make those extra throws, and win you a ball game on his shoulders, and Kirk Cousins ain't that guy. I think it's smart that they're not waiting to bottom out completely to do this. You know what I mean? Like they, right. It feels like that they have reached almost or probably the ceiling of what that team could do. So I, I appreciate that they're like, listen, we're going to go ahead and start retooling now so that we're just not going to bottom out and suck for a and, couple of years. We're just going to go ahead and try to improve. You know, we're going to get worse, but we're going to try to improve as we're doing it. And over here's time. the unfortunate thing for a team that's relatively loved locally, right? That people like the Titans waited a little too long. It felt to, like to last year is when they should have done it. To try to really retool. It felt like last year. And they didn't have anybody behind that starting quarterback and Ryan Tannehill to yeah. fill in and keep them afloat. And now they're in this situation where they're, they're saying they're going to retool, but you only have one more year of Ryan Tannehill. You don't have much longer with Derrick Henry. You're going to have to rebuild Foley here. Um, and they didn't really have the foresight. And that has to do with John Robinson. That's why he's fired right now. That's why he no longer has a job. That's why Rand Carthon is the GM of the Titans. But they didn't have the foresight, and uh, they're, they're sort of being left behind in a lot of ways. I think they'll be okay this year. They're not going to be a world beater. They're not going to be competing for anything of, of substance, of value. But the Vikings are going ahead and trying to get out in front of this thing even after a year they went 13-4, and four, and all of these guys they offloaded had good years. Right? Like Dalvin Cook was right around 1,100 yards receiving, um, caught a hell of a lot of balls. Eric Kendricks probably, I, I, don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he, he was right around 100 tackles combined last year. Uh, Daniil Hunter, 10.5 sacks, but they see where they need to save money, they see where they need to move into the future, and they're getting ahead of it. And I think a lot of teams around the NFL need to learn from, from what's, been, what's happening right now in Minnesota. Yeah! USF's Board of Trustees have approved the plan for a $340 million on-campus stadium per Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times. No one wants to get left behind, huh, Connor Dunning? No, they do not. Golly, $340 million on-campus is going to seat 35,000 people, and it's expected to open in 2026. Now, they have a couple of hurdles they have to jump through to make this happen officially, but I do find it very cool. And, and I, I know that, the uh, to be honest with you, not everybody's situation the same. I'll get to Memphis here in a second. But this will be the first time in their history they play football on campus. They've been at Raymond James. Oh, wow. It's certainly bet It's a perfect size for them, 35,000. Better than playing in Raymond James and filling out, trying to fill out a pro stadium that you're never, inevitably, never going to fill out unless you're playing UCF or some big Florida school. Um, but I, this just shows me everyone in the country – in the group of five that feels like they're on the precipice of jumping over into that Power Five conference, is they're doing everything they can. They're doing their part to position themselves. That includes the University of Memphis. Now, with this, I, I've seen some discussions out there in the ether, in the world, about a Memphis on-campus stadium. I still don't get that, Connor. I still have never understood that. I, if you make the requisite changes to Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, that's all you need. It's two miles off campus. And for people that don't understand about how this whole on-campus, off-campus things wor- thing works, like there are some really damn good Power 5 schools that, that win a fair amount that are like 10 miles off campus. Yes. Look at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh just won the ACC two years ago. They're way off campus. They're playing in Heinz. Well, I guess it was. Is it now? I forget exactly what it's called. The new the, the Steelers Stadium. Who who the, who the hell knows? But Heinz. They're they've played in Heinz this whole time. Miami, the U, plays fifteen miles off campus. And when I look at the University of Memphis, it's right there. It is literally right there down Central. It is not far from the campus. I bet if you measured tip. 
the tip of campus where uh, where where Richardson Towers used to be to the stadium. What are we talking about? Maybe a mile and a half, it's a, two it's miles. It's just down central. It's right it's, there. It's right there. So, like, I get it's tired, right there. I get tired <laughs> of hearing the conversation about on-campus um, on campus football stadium because it's not necessary. No. It's just not. And you can fill it out. You have enough seats. And if you just make those changes, you'll be in a great spot. And who's who's the main who who is the main team that plays in Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium? The University of Memphis Tigers. If they didn't have a stadium all to their own, you'd feel a little bit differently about the situation. If they were sort of a secondary uh second if they were part of a secondary lease, right? But they they, they own that stadium. That's them. So like I, I, I get tired of seeing all these conversations still out there about on campus stadium. One, where are you gonna put it? Yes, Two, it's yes, not necessary. Where are you gonna put it? <laughs> where are you necessary. gonna put it? There's no room at the University See, of Memphis. And, and, and no what's funny is people talk about uh Audubon golf course, getting rid of Audubon, right? Okay, whatever. That's still not on campus, that's, by the way. That's, that's off, not on campus. That's technically off campus. Yes. Uh, now, granted, it's like, what, a, a, not even a quarter of a mile off campus, but it's still off campus. It's still off campus. So I, I just, I get so annoyed and, and bothered by these conversations. I get that we can be in a copycat situation at times. You see South Florida trying to make this step, get on campus with their football to make themselves more attractive moving forward. But... The University of Memphis can't do that. And if they're putting $150 million to $200 million into stadium renovations, that's all it takes to stay attractive to, power five, uh, to, to, to a Power 5 conference. So I, I've seen some of that out in the, in the world today, or yesterday and today, considering what USF is doing. But please, spare me. Stop it. Stop. That's all I can say, Connor. And I know you're right there with Dude, me. I'm tired of hearing about on-campus It stadium. has been... For me, going to the University of Memphis, there's just there's nowhere to put it. There's yes. nowhere to put an on-campus stadium. To your point, Audubon, they're building something there right now. They're already they're, building something there right they're now. They're redoing the golf course. Yeah, like they're, they're, which it's honestly, not go I there. think ultimately and, will help the area. Well, also, if we're going to be completely honest, it's not a big enough area for a football stadium. You don't have enough room for parking. You don't have enough well, room I guess for if tailgating. You got rid of the entire golf course, sure, there'd be but an parking, area. Parking, tailgating, yes, re- right. all of that stuff. And I'm gonna be honest too. That's I would rather have it where it is. I think that it's perfectly and, fine where it is. It's easy to get to. You can just jump in a car with some people, grab an Uber. It's not you can even walk from, from and, campus and, to and, it. And let's talk about monetary. Let's talk about the money involved. 150 to 200 million. They're gonna start in what, January 2024 on the Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium renovations. That's a plan. Could you imagine the amount of money it would take to bulldoze the entire golf course, put a stadium on there, put parking on there? And sort of make that happen. Time. That's probably it's like a, in the time it would take. I mean, I I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not great. It, it try, I'm not going to act like I am a, a developer and I know what the price would be. But to bulldoze the entire golf course, put in parking, put in a new state of the art stadium, forty thousand seats. Let's say. I mean, that would be up around a billion dollars compared to one hundred fifty million to two hundred million dollars. And you're really accomplishing the same thing. You're trying to get a a, a stadium state of the art. That, that, that you can fill out consistently that makes you uh, uh, attractive to Power 5 conferences. I think what they're doing right now is exactly what they needed to do. And uh, let's stop. Let's stop with the on-campus stadium talk. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. You done with it? I'm very done with it. I'm very <laughs> done with it, dude. Very. I'm done with it. I, I swear. It's, it's been, and especially, and, and people may call me biased because I played in the Liberty Bowl all those years. But at the same time, it's a 
worthwhile stadium and the the additions and what they've done with the locker rooms and how much they've put into it i think that i think that it is a solid place to play it is one of the better especially in the AAC right now it's one of the better stadiums that you get to compete in i love the, i love in it. football i love it i have I a it. i have a very big nostalgic connection to the liberty bowl yes yes and also i was thinking about this like Think about the fact that, like, you have Cooper Young, you have all those bars, restaurants right there. What's over there by Audubon? Not much. Like, where would people go before the game? Lost How eight. would they go about it? And I think, uh, <laughs> considering like Tiger Lane and all the parking that they have right there, like the tailgate scene has gotten substantially improved the past few years uh, since the since the team has been good. The more people come out there, the better it gets. It's just it. The on-campus stadium talk has always annoyed me. But especially in this day and age, looking at what has become of Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium and what is going to become of Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, it really falls on deaf ears. It really does. Now, that'll do it for the Blitz. We need to wrap up this show, this Wednesday edition of the Gabe Coon Show. We'll do that next with a rewind right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Now it's the Rewind. Now we play about like Rewind. Brought to you by Memphis Barbecue Company. Rewind on 92.9. There's some news out there from Jonathan Gavoni, NBA draft analyst for ESPN, about the Grizzlies wanting to move up from 25 in the draft to the late lottery or mid-first round. I, I don't know ultimately if they're going to be able to get into the teens, but this fits. Besides that John Morant number two pick in 2019, Zach Kleiman has moved up to make every single first-round pick since he has been the GM. I don't know exactly what to think, but I'd expect the Grizzlies, regardless of the draft, still be aggressive in free agency and in the trade market. But remember, with free agency and the trade market, being aggressive does not mean things will ultimately come to fruition. You have to be smart, and the move has to make sense. Uh, Today, really, really good stuff from Carl Reed, who is uh, 247 Sports and CBS Sports College football analyst. We talked Dion, who he's very close with, NIL, transfer portal. He's a former coach uh, from the St. Louis area. He's moved a lot of kids from high school into uh, into college football programs. So he, he's very close with a lot of coaches and a lot of kids around the country. But he's a believer in Memphis to the Big 12. He believes it makes sense. And I think I speak for everyone when I say we here in Memphis – Agree. Now, if you want to play back the whole show, download the Odyssey app and search 92.9 ESPN. What's the biggest game tonight? Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Seven straight wins for Connor We are on what a do we seven. Have? What do we have now? We're on a seven-game heater right now. Tonight, we've got the White Sox at the Dodgers, 9 p.m. It's going to be on ESPN. Right now, the Dodgers are minus 285. I'm going to go with the Dodgers. A lot it's, of a, it's a home game. The White Sox kind of stink. So, go with the Dodgers. Kershaw versus Clevenger. Let's make it eight, baby. Let's make it eight. Let's make it eight. Even with the juice. Fast forward. Fast forward. Uh, I'm still waiting for John Morant suspension news. Hope that comes soon. (laughs) I really hope that comes soon. But there's there's also going to be, on top of that, depending on when we get that news, there's going to be some NBA draft smoke. Uh, between now and next week. NFL minicamp news and notes will keep rolling in. Join us tomorrow. But that's a wrap for today. Thanks to Jeff Calkins and Carl Reed for their contributions to the show. We'll meet back here at the same time tomorrow. But in the meantime, Joe and Amber are next. For Connor, I'm Gabe. Be easy, be safe, and enjoy the rest of your night.
WMFS FM and HD1 Bartlett. WMFS Memphis celebrating a legacy of sports as the flagship home of the Memphis Grizzlies and Tigers Talk. Always live on the Odyssey app and on smart speakers say play 92.9 ESPN. Oh, South Haven and surrounding areas. You don't want to miss this. It's the $79 Eliminator Sale. This Saturday at Landers Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Landers Nissan. 315 East Goodman Road, South Haven, Mississippi. And yeah, you could get a car for $79. Done deal. Or $79 down or $79 a month. And hey, South Haven, you want a vehicle for just $79? I'm talking drive it off the lot. Yeah, we can Make it happen this Saturday morning at Landers Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Landers Nissan. And here's how it's going to work. You get there, pre-register at 8 a.m. At 9.45, we open the gates. You find the pre-owned vehicle you're in love with. I'm saying inventory all over the place. Then you just sit in that vehicle you want. You'll have first chance when the Eliminator comes around at 10 a.m. sharp, slashing the prices on every vehicle right on the windshield. And yep, some of them go for $79 a month or $79 down or $79 done deal. Regardless, you could save thousands. You could lower your monthly note by hundreds. Folks, 315 East Goodman Road, South Haven is where it's happening this Saturday. Don't worry about the weather. Just be there. You call right now for details, 662-349-3006 or 662-349-5557. It's this Saturday, only at Landers Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Landers Nissan. Don't miss it. I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I learned about atrial fibrillation the hard way. My symptoms would come and go. Shortness of breath, fatigue. I kept going. Then I got so lightheaded, I couldn't. My doctor said I have AFib, so I'm about five times more likely to have a stroke. Other symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain can come and go, but the risk of stroke stays. If you have symptoms, tell a doctor. Visit notimetowait.com. Sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Whatever you do, don't buy an engagement ring or any piece of diamond jewelry until you discover the all-new Genesis Diamonds. Opening very soon in Poplar Commons. Genesis Diamonds. No ordinary jewelry store. It's a global diamond powerhouse started by former diamond wholesalers with rock-bottom prices on exquisite hand-selected diamonds and a selection that's up to 30 times other stores. This is a game-changer for Memphis. The official jeweler of the Tennessee Titans has arrived with long-overdue price relief. Genesis Diamonds guarantees to beat the price of any diamond you find at any other local jeweler. Period. Any size, any shape. Lab-grown or natural diamonds. Plus, at Genesis, you have access to the most sought-after ring designers in the world. Over 4,000 rings to choose from. All this plus a stunning showroom. Unbeatable warranties and guarantees. A no-holds-barred diamond education. No commission salespeople. And free service for life on any purchase. Genesis Diamonds. Opening very soon in Poplar Commons at Poplar and Perkins Extended. Genesis Diamonds. The official jeweler of the Tennessee Titans. Thank you. 